Hello, good morning. How's everybody? Good. So Tuesday was missionary prayer night, which means that today is missionary focus here in Faith Fellowship. There we go. Ah, yeah. So you, as you guys know, there was a trip to Nairobi. You guys heard from Miles and part of that team uh, about a month ago. I watched that online while I was in Nairobi. So I was watching y'all talk about Nairobi from Nairobi. But we're going to talk about the last half of that trip. So Miles and the team was there, were there for 10 days. And then, as you know, my family was there for a few weeks. And then, and then after that, I got these guys to come and join me. And we spent a few weeks trying to reach Nairobi for Christ. And that's the vision, is that we would see God reach hearts, save souls, and begin to plant a church. But really, Nairobi for Christ doesn't happen just because four really good-looking dudes show up in Nairobi, Kenya. Like that alone, well, that works for, that works for Chinese. Like people will just flock to you. But this picture, you know, I put it up here because I wanted you to see our group and you get a small sampling of the city behind you. We're up on a, uh, the rooftop of one of the buildings, but that city stretches in, uh, you know, about three directions, just like that. In the fourth, there's a, uh, a big wildlife park, there's lions. So it's either you go into the city and you face the people or you just go face the lions. But really Nairobi for Christ has to, has to look more like this. Nairobi for Christ doesn't happen until Kenyans actually start engaging. So that's our friend Victor right there in that middle picture. He was the chef for the team that was there initially. And then he and I connected, and then he ended up connecting with the whole team. And then, like I said, people just love Cheney. Like, there's two ways that we could win Nairobi for Christ. We can go and start sharing the gospel and evangelizing, or you can just marry a Kenyan. And that's one step closer to Nairobi for Christ. And we uh, employed both of those strategies. Not all of us. Decker and I are married, just to be clear. But we'll take advantage of what we got. Um, I'm just going to show you a couple pictures, and I'm actually going to turn it over to these guys, and I'll get back up here at the end. Um, but outside, and they're going to talk a lot about the mission and what we did. We also got to do a little bit of fun as well. We got to see a, a good part of the country. We got to see a good part of the city. We did get to go out on uh, a safari. That's a hippopotamus and a baby hippopotamus that David's pointing at back there. So that was us enjoying some time in the sun. Uh, we cruised around in these land cruisers and the roof came up and we had this, uh, where were they from? Norway? Norwegian couple that hung out with us while we were there. Um, but it's a beautiful country inside and outside of the city. The city is large. The country is vast. You can see the joy really on everyone's face, but mine uh, in that picture. <laughs> uh, that's because I had to hold the camera and I didn't want to drop it and it get run over. I was trying to figure out how all this works. Um, we stopped for lunch, you know, and, and when you get out away from the city and it is just a beautiful, beautiful scenery. If you would turn around, there's wildebeest behind me, you know, there's zebras. Um, but it was just a good time to also get away and to spend a little time enjoying and, and appreciating some of God's vast creation. While we were there, it's the, the wildebeest migration was happening. And it would not be an exaggeration to say that we saw half a million wildebeest through the plains at times they would get into these little groups and hundreds of them would just take off running. You know, the zebras were, were tens of thousands. There was a bunch of them. So it was an amazing time. Uh, if you get the opportunity to join our future Kenya missions trips, which there will be, uh, our heart is to take another big team, hopefully this year, and then again in the spring next year. Uh, I would encourage that. One, as you're going to hear, because the 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 field is open. We had an easy opportunity to speak with people, share the gospel, invite them in. 
Um, but as a side note, um, there's some beauty as well. You can go see some, some hippos and some wild animals. So we're going to talk about the impact of missions because missions trips impact your life. They should at least, right? When, because God called all of us into the mission. While he was here on this earth, Jesus was inviting people into mission with him as he's resurrected and about to ascend. He's telling his disciples that there is a great mission and you need to get involved in it. And, and we believe that at Midtown. The heart of what God is doing is that he wants his, his gospel truth to spread to the nation so that everybody would have the opportunity to receive him as Savior and live a life that brings glory, honor, and worship to him. And one of the ways that we facilitate that is we want to, to make missions available to everybody, right? So we have short-term trips, we have some medium-term trips, we have faraway trips, we have close trips, we have expensive trips, we have cheap trips. Um, but when you go, you should not come back the same. Because the goal is not just to go and see animals and have fun or to explore a new city. The goal is to go and to hear what God is saying and to let God change you. Maybe into a vampire, it appears. Or a missionary. Those are the options. There is no middle ground. I don't know if you guys planned it, but being right in front of a mission to reach the world, right there in the background, it just was that coincidence? Well, it's perfect. But missions, trips, when done right, does, does impact you and will change you. You've heard Dell talk about trips he's been on. You've heard, you know, Miles and the team were here earlier. You've heard me and you've heard others. And today you'll get the chance to hear from both David and Cheney. Decker was with us. He won't be sharing here today. Next week, Decker and I will be over in whole heart. And Decker is going to take the spot of both of those guys because it's basically an even trade. That's how it works. It takes two to equal one Decker. So you get to hear first from Cheney. He's going to come up and he's going to talk to you about the trip, but he's also going to talk to you about the impact of missions. And then after that, David will be up. So give it up for Cheney. Is that good? I think it'll work? Okay. <clears throat> All right. Um, everyone, my name is Cheney Perkins. Uh, James asked me to first tell you all why we went to Nairobi. Um, Start with this. Okay. We were studying the life of Jonathan while we were there. Okay. So, you know, we had a, a focus in, in Scripture, and each of us can share a little bit uh, of what we got out of that study time all these things. So you'll hear a little theme. People ask mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. <laughs> now we're set up. Um, all right. So um, he asked me to tell you all why we, we went there. Um, I think I can speak for everyone when I say that we just wanted to see what God was doing in Kenya. We've been hearing about the Bible studies, baptisms, how it was going to be a church plant. And we also knew it would be a great opportunity to see the beginnings of a church plant. Personally, for me, I just really wanted to go on a missions trip. I know that we are commanded as Christians to preach the gospel to everyone, everything, and everywhere. So I wanted to be obedient to that command. <clears throat> um, I previously wanted to go on the London-Ireland trip with James, um, but God closed that door. I was pretty bummed out. I didn't know why um, he would have closed that door uh, because I had been growing. I've been doing things the right way, but um, I just couldn't understand it. And then now I realize that he closed that door so that he could open another door which was Nairobi. Um, I didn't know for sure where I wanted to go on a missions trip, but my dad was planning to go with James to Kenya. And one day he asked me if I wanted to go. Uh, James approved it. And at that point I was all in with Kenya. I was praying and trying to learn all I could about the culture, about the doctrinal differences and studying our basic discipleship principles to, pre to be prepared for the trip. Once God opened the door for me, I knew that this is what he had for me. Now, as I explained to you what we did in Nairobi, I'm going to focus on 1 Samuel 14, 24 through 48 to show you some of the things that God showed me along the way. I'm just going to kind of jump around a bit in the, in the chapter, in that passage. 
Um, since this was my first missions trip, I learned that a big part of missions, no matter where you go, is the fact that kind of like in the back of your mind or as a side task, you're always learning a new culture, uh, depending on how long you're going to be there, of course. Some of the most significant things I learned from this trip came from the cultural things that were so different from the American society that I've always known. Uh, in 1 Samuel 14, 24, we see how the men of Israel were distressed because Saul had made an oath that whoever eats before the evening will be cursed. Saul is forcing his men, Saul is forcing the men of Israel to fast. Now, fasting, as we know, is not a bad thing, but it should always be because you're willing to do it. Forcing his men to fast caused them to be distressed. Saul took his own convictions and forced them on his men. Now, I'm all about the visual aids. So I made a little visual aid for you to kind of show you what that was like. <laughs> um, <laughs> David, as you see, is Saul. He's just kind of doing his own thing, putting the oath curse on the men, and it's clearly causing distress for the men of Israel. Um, while we were in Kenya, we saw some major differences in culture. Here in the States, it's pretty expected that you show up for you show up on time for things. And it can be considered very rude to show up late, but in Kenya, it's pretty much expected that you are late. And when I say late, I mean, I mean pretty late, like 45 minutes or an hour late. Um, when we would organize Bible study and the people would show up late, we had a couple options. We could choose to pack everything up, leave and get upset with the people for not showing up, or we could accept that it's normal in their culture for people to show up late, bring a deck of cards and get really good at playing spades until someone showed up for Bible study, which is exactly what we did. Um, in missions, you cannot spiritualize your own agenda or traditions and force them on the people because they'll never live up to your expectations. In verse 32, we saw how the men of Israel could not even keep the oath curse. They were so faint that they flew upon the spoil and took the animals and killed them and just started eating them raw. Um, forcing your own traditions uh, or culture on people will also leave you in a bad place. Saul gave the oath curse and ended up almost having to kill his own son because of it. Thankfully, the people rescued Jonathan. He survived, but still, he was going to kill his own son. Uh, we learned that it is important to establish what is strictly biblical in order to avoid those situations. Um, this is just uh, some of the, or one of the Bible studies that we had um, with the guys, and I just wanted to show you some of the, the fruit that came from that. In the middle picture, um, that's Joshua, who we met, and he came and just started coming to our studies and hanging out with us. Uh, actually stayed the night with us a few times. Um, but near the end of the trip, he, we got to, or David got a chance to share the gospel with him and his brother, and they both made professions of faith while we were there. Um, okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, we can also see in verse 31 that Saul's oath curse caused the men of Israel to be faint. Um. They were not allowed to eat any food, and Saul just continued to have the men fight. We learned that when things get distressed, there comes a weak point. Thankfully, we learned what would happen if we imposed cultural traditions on the people rather than biblical things early on. So we did not experience the issue of people becoming fate. Instead, we actually got to see the opposite outcome. On the last night of Bible study, uh, before we came back home, I got to talk with two of the men that we had become friends with. They had been coming to our Bible studies and having fellowship with us throughout the weeks, so I asked them what their opinions of us were. They both said the same thing. They said that they were both very skeptical about coming to our Bible studies. Despite their skepticism, they came anyway to observe and check us out. They both came down to the same conclusion, that <clears throat> even though they were skeptical, they saw that we weren't trying to force anything on them. Um, they saw that we simply wanted to study the Bible and see what God had to say. They told me that this was the reason that they both kept coming back. So instead of forcing tradition or personal conviction on people, it is important to allow God to work. God does not need our help. He has allowed us by his grace to partake in the work. So stick to what is biblical. I think I can press it. Okay, this is just two of the guys that, that uh, we met. These are the two guys that gave me the feedback. Um, that's Raj in the middle and then uh, Stefan on the end. And these were just two of the guys that um, we ended up becoming great friends with, and they came to pretty much all the Bible studies while we were there. Um, so, yeah, that's pretty much all I have. <laughs> what, 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 what
Um, a lot of them, uh, you know, it didn't really seem like there was, like, a lot of them were students. Jeanette was saying that um, pretty much everybody, uh, just having, like, the diploma, the physical diploma was uh, super important in Nairobi. And so if, if you weren't in, like, some sort of schooling or some sort of class, um, you were not doing the right thing. And that was, like, looked down on. Pretty much. So basically, everyone was a student. We would. Uh, Raj had uh, told us that he had two jobs and he was in school. Um, and so, yeah, pretty much everybody's a student. Um, and then the other work we had Ken, who was like a stock trader, I guess. Um, yeah. Janet. Yeah. Coffee shop workers. Yeah. All right. Cool. Um, well, good morning, everyone. I'm David Gelvin. I know most of you and some of you I don't know. I'm one of the vampires, um, which, you know, interestingly, the vampire and the missionary both are trying to reach the world. Blood is a big theme. Um, I go too much further. It's just a, it's a pit. It's yeah, came back changed. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to share a little bit about my experience. And like Cheney said, we studied, uh, Jonathan's life as a group. And so, um, I took one of the passages that we studied and, and wanted to tie my experience to, uh, that study and, and kind of in line with what we learned at all church retreat, um, be able to read out of that passage and see if Jonathan's experiences in the mission uh, lined up with our experiences in the mission field as well. And, and sure enough, they did. So um, the passage I'm gonna sort of be experientially talking about is 1 Samuel 18, one through four. And you can turn there if you'd like. I'm also gonna have it up on the next slide. So 1 Samuel 18, one through four says, and it came to pass, when he had made an end of speaking unto Saul, that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would let him go no more home to his father, father's house. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was upon him and gave it to David and his garments, even to his sword and to his bow and to his girdle. Okay, so um, real quick, when we studied this in Kenya, admittedly, it was my first time reading this passage, and I was like, this is kind of a weird passage. This is kind of awkward. Uh, I'm not really sure what I'm reading, and we're studying it, and, and as I'm thinking about this, I'm realizing that we had decided to do our Bible study at the pool that day, which means it was just three shirtless dudes, nobody else around. I'm like, man, this is getting uncomfortable. And I look over at Chaney. He starts taking off his girdle. I'm like, nope, I'm studying alone today. Um, no, I'm, I'm kidding. Chaney didn't bring a girdle, I don't think. Um, no, but ac actually, after a little bit of study, uh, this passage uh, clearly is about intimacy with Christ and the cost of the mission. And those were two themes that I found to be really present throughout my entire experience in Kenya. So to break this down a little bit, um, we see in verse one that souls are knit together, right? Jonathan and David's souls are knit together. And that was certainly something that I experienced while I was in Kenya. Uh, during my first week, James and I visited a Bible school in a place called West Pakot. And we got to fellowship and worship and even teach uh, local pastors and Bible students. And we we're only there for, you know, two days. And, and yet when we left, it was like hard. <laughs> it was hard to say goodbye to these people, despite all the barriers that, that should have prevented a connection, right? We didn't speak the same language, totally different culture. We look different. We eat different food. We have different mannerisms. Uh, and yet even when we were departing, um, these Kenyans themselves seemed to be expressing remorse while we were leaving. Uh, and, and so what was that? Well, that was our souls being knit, right? We were fellowshipping with spiritual brothers and sisters across the world who are sharing in that labor. Um, 
this this also happened uh, just with the friends that we made while we were in Nairobi. Uh, so you can see some of them in, in some of these pictures. Um, but, you know, we made close friends, right? It wasn't just a project to try and get somebody to Bible study. We're building legitimate relationships. And there's people to this day I'm still catching up with on WhatsApp, texting and trying to convince to teach me how to make chapati, which they just won't break. I don't, I don't get why they won't tell me how to do it. Um, but we had legitimate friendships. Um, and then in addition to that, uh, our team souls got knit together. Um, you know, we spent, James and I spent the first week together one-on-one -on -one and then, and then Chaney and Decker came. And so for two straight weeks, it was the four of us and, and we're living together and we're cooking together and we're praying together and studying together. And, you know, at some point the facade has to fall off and you have to be a real person with each other. And, um, and you go through difficult experiences and you see each other's true colors. Uh, and yet uh, in those experiences, we have so many rich memories. Um, you know, you can't jump into a freezing swimming pool every single night for two weeks without getting close. You just can't, you can't go through that without getting close. And, um, and, and so ultimately um, what that showed me is that there is this unique, deep love that exists between the brethren and the mission. Um, it's something unique, I think, to um, Christianity in particular, when you're laboring alongside your, your, your brothers and sisters in Christ, you just have this bond that's intimate and personal. And ultimately that bond is, is reflective of the bond we have with Christ, right? It shall be pointing to that. Um, and, and what's amazing is that Jesus wants this intimate relationship with us. Um, and he wants us to knit our souls with his. Uh, and yet we see that if, if you're going to be knit with Christ, uh, you're going to have to be vulnerable. Um, and so verse four says, and Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was upon him and gave it to David and his garments, even to his sword and to his bow and to his girdle. So David being the picture of Christ, Jonathan is in a very vulnerable state, right? He's got, he's got all of his status removed. He's got nothing hidden, all the walls he hides behind, all of his weaknesses would have been in plain sight. And, and those are plainly visible to David. And, and similarly, there was a lot of vulnerability that we experienced in Kenya, um, physically vulnerable, right? I mean, you're, you're jet lagged, you're exhausted. It's, it's tiresome to be in a new environment. We have to figure everything out at all times. Um, sometimes we went to places that weren't super, super safe. Um, stayed in a guest house in West Pacot that was not necessarily a five-star Airbnb. Um, went to a, a market with a friend, Vic, to, to build our relationship and turns to find out that was maybe a little bit sketchy for a Mzungu to go. Um, Mzungu means strange thing, which is what they call white people, which I think is actually appropriately translated, um, especially based off the vampire picture. <laughs> Um, so, so those were some physically vulnerable places, right? Am, am I going to run in some sort of uh, run in? Uh, there was also emotional vulnerability, right? You're evangelizing, you're there for the mission. Well, it's hard to evangelize every single day and face rejection or, or worse to hear yes and then get ghosted because you're putting yourself out there. You have to be emotionally available to share your testimony and to open scripture with people and to reach them. And, and, um, and praise the Lord, we actually saw a lot of fruit. Um, but, but that's a emotionally tiresome experience. And then when you get into Bible study, well, then you're studying the word and, and your heart has to be open and you're sharing your testimony. And, you know, when you share your testimony one time, it's exhilarating and, and it's exciting. When you share it like 10 times in a day, like it's, it gets draining. It just does. And so you have to, you have to choose to be vulnerable. Um, and there was even an intellectual vulnerability, right? When, when James and I were at West Picot, teaching these Bible students in this school, they were not, we're working through an interpreter. And so uh, everything we're saying is being interpreted into Swahili. And I have no idea if what they're hearing is actually what I'm saying. And, and no idea if the conversations they're having and the, and the things they're laughing about, are they laughing about us? Do they actually like us? Do they, do they think ill of us? And so there's just, you're in a, you're in a place of vulnerability. Um, but the point of that vulnerability um, is, is to decide to trust in Christ's strength rather than our own. 
Um, and, and so the, the mission will strip you of that, but it's ultimately for your good and, and for the sake of the kingdom. Um, and that vulnerability takes me to come my last key takeaway, um, which is uh, ultimately the mission requires surrender. Uh, and that surrender is to Christ. Um, all of our goals were secondary to kingdom goals while we were there. Uh, everything was about establishing Jesus's kingdom rather than our own. And so, um, you know, it, it just sort of strips you of everything you were holding on to until all you have left is, is your relationship with Jesus. And so, um, yeah, so in terms of personal reflection, it just made me consider, well, what am I willing to give up and to be cost for the mission? And when I came back here, I realized there are so many things that I thought were so important in my life that really aren't and are actually distractions to the mission and are, are really just getting in the way between me and, and reaching people. And, and so, um, so yeah, it's just sort of a matter of surrender. So that's all the time I have. Um, uh, thanks for listening to us and go on a mission trip if you have the opportunity. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Missionaries like vampires both work in the night because this time that we're living in now in the Bible is likened unto the night because the sun is, is about to arise. The sun being Jesus Christ, the son of righteousness, is getting ready to return to this world and we'll and, and faith will be made sight. It will be daytime for us in his presence. And so, as you know, like a, like a vampire that's nocturnal and does its work in the night, so do we. Not in the shadows, but uh, just in the face of the darkness and in the night. And that is exactly what God has called us to do uh, in terms of, of the mission is to not fear the night and to not fear the darkness, but to trust that we have the Lord with us and that we are to go and to take his light. All right, so I'm going to be in 1 Samuel 14. And we'll take the next few minutes and I'll give you a few takeaways from the life of Jonathan and missions for you guys. And then I think at the end we'll have time. We can do questions and prayer. So if you do have questions about the culture or about anything that these guys said or really anything, feel free to ask them. I'll just preempt one question. Cheney is still single. I know you were wondering. You saw the pictures, but that was just passing by. First Samuel 14, we're going to look at uh, the first 14 verses. And I'll start reading and you can follow along with me and I'll stop and make some comments as we go. Now it came to pass upon a day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said unto the young man that bare his armor, come, and let us go over um, to the Philistines' garrison that is on the other side. But he told not his father. And Saul tarried in the uppermost part of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree, which is in Migron. And the people that were with him were about 600 men. And Ahiah, the son of Ahitub, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh, wearing an ephod. And the people knew not that Jonathan was gone. And between the passages by which Jonathan sought to go over unto the Philistines' garrison, there was a sharp rock on one side and a sharp rock on the other side. And the name of the one was Bozes, and the name of the other, Sina. The forefront of the one was situate northward over against Michmash, and the other southward over against Gebeah. And we'll pause there. And that's the image that you see on the screen. This is some artist's rendition uh, of that. Uh, at, at some level, you had two big, sharp rocks pointing, one northward and one southward, and creating a small pass. And that was the way by which they had to go. But I want to start by asking this question. Go back to verse 1. When did this happen? What day was it? What was that? Stacy said it. Like Thursday? A holiday? Was it a feast day? 
Was it was, was Wednesday at two? Was it Jonathan's birthday? Was he like, this would be a good thing to do today? We have no idea, right? All that God records for us is that it was a day. Maybe, as far as we know, nothing special about it. Really, maybe the only thing that we could assume is that it wasn't the night. Outside of that, it was a day. Just any old day. And our first takeaway in terms of missions is this. Just like with Jonathan, any day is a good day to engage in the mission. See, sometimes we think that it takes a special day or that it takes, well, you know, I'll wait until the new year. I'll set this new year's resolution, 2023. I'm going to start reading my Bible, 2023. I'm going to start going on mission trips, 2023. I'm going to start, uh, you know, evangelizing or, you know, I'm, I'm looking to get a new job and it'll be easier if I just start fresh there. That's when I'll start talking to my coworkers. You know, when we start creating all these ideas about what kind of day we need in order to start actually engaging in what God has called him to do or called us to do. And what it says about Jonathan is it was just a day. Today's a day. And tomorrow's a day. And any of those days can be the day that we just decide to say, you know what, there is a mission, there is a fight, there is a battle, there is something that God has already called me to engage in. So why wait? Well, you know, Will's going to lead that trip to, to Tampa. That's going to be a lot of fun. So I'll just, I'll just wait for that. Well, you got two months worth of days that you're going to let pass by before you get there. Right? And really the reality for us is not only is it an any day decision, but it's actually an everyday decision. It is an everyday decision to get up and to engage in, in the battle that God has called us to. It's an everyday decision to get up and say that the mission comes first. It's an everyday decision to say that it doesn't actually matter what I uh, want or what I feel or what I uh, you know, prefer. My comfort doesn't actually matter. What actually matters is that every day I have the opportunity to, to decide whether or not I will engage in the mission. So I get to wake up and say, it is a day. And it's a day that I'm going to choose to follow the Lord. But at the end of the day, I'm going to go to sleep. And sleep has this magical power of kind of resetting uh, our flesh, both in a good way, like you, your body needs rest, and in a bad way. Because then you wake up and your flesh is like, well, you know what? It's a day. And this is the reality. Every day that you wake up, your flesh is like, it's a day. And today's my day. Every day, your flesh is ready to engage in its mission. Like, it doesn't need a special day. Like some of you, maybe, maybe your birthday is a special day where you're like, I'm getting blasted today because it's my birthday. Or, you know, it's like, it's Friday, uh, happy hour. This is the day where the flesh wins. But the reality is, we know we don't need that, right? Like the flesh is actually better at this than we are in the spirit. Flesh resets, and you wake up in the morning, and you're like, I'm going to take a little extra time in bed today. I'm going to slow roll this morning. But then the slow roll means there was no time to actually pray and actually read and actually engage with the Lord. So the flesh wants to do it. But we must make sure that we are doing it in the spirit. We must make sure that we are engaging into the, into the battle. So any day is a good day to start engaging in the mission. And there's no need to wait for anything special. The simple reality is you must start. You must start. And the next thing we see uh, as we uh, start to work through this is that Jonathan decides. He goes ahead and he tells his, his armor bearer. So it's going to be the two of them. And then we get this. The very next verse, verse 2, tells us what the rest of the army is doing including the leader. Saul is chilling under a pomegranate tree. I don't know a lot about pomegranate trees. I don't know what they look like. I should have looked that up. I know I love pomegranates. But I bet they're pretty shady. I bet, th I bet that's why they were there. I mean, in a good way. Ca casting a shadow. That kind of shady. 
and he has 600 men with him. What we're going to see in this battle is that they had the potential for 602 men to enter into the battle. But 600, I guess 603, plus Saul, Jonathan, armor bearer. But 601, Saul plus his 600, stay under a tree and don't engage. It wasn't a day for them, or at least not a day to engage. It's only Jonathan and, uh, and his armor bearer that decide to get up and to go. And the next thing I want to show you is this, is that two in the fight are better than 600 under a tree. Meaning at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how many people are coming to Midtown or how many people are coming to Faith Fellowship or how many people are involved in LFBI or how many people are, are, are connected, how many churches are connected to the Living Faith Fellowship. We can get all these numbers and go, look, there's 600 of us. But all we're doing is sitting under a tree. The 600 don't matter. In terms of this battle and in terms of accomplishing the mission, 601 people did nothing. But the two that decided to engage were far more valuable than the 601 who didn't. Unfortunately, that included Saul, who should have been the leader. And so we took, you know, we took 16 to Nairobi, and then that was whittled down to five. And then that was whittled down for a few days to two. And then we bumped back up to four. And in terms of the mission, I will take the two or the four over the 600 any day. Because what God sent were four that said, you know what? It is comfortable at Midtown. And the flights are expensive. And jet lag is awful. It takes a long time to get there. And then you, you don't even remember a couple days of your life. And there's all of these reasons. Like the ministry's good at Midtown. Things are going well in Kaya. Things are going good in whole heart. God's using me. I don't actually have to go. And I'm sure Saul had all of those thoughts too. I'm the king and I've got all of these things going for me. But you know what? When, the, when nobody goes, then nothing gets accomplished. Then nothing happens in Nairobi, Kenya, or Costa Rica, or anywhere else that we, that we would choose. So Eli, uh, and so Jonathan takes his armor bearer, and they get up, and, and, they, and they go, verse 6. And Jonathan said to the young man that bare his armor, Come, and let us go over unto the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us. This is key. For there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. And this is what gets proved out in this passage, is that God saved by two. Now, he could have delivered with 603, but he worked with what he was given. Verse 7, And his armor bearer said unto him, Do all that is in thine heart. Turn thee, behold, I am with thee, according to thy heart. Then said Jonathan, Behold, we will pass over unto these men, and we will discover ourselves unto them, and if they say unto us, Tarry till we come to you, then we will stand still in our place and will not go up unto them. But if they say, if they say thus, Come up unto us, then we will go up. For the Lord hath delivered them into our hand, and this shall be a sign unto us. And both of them discovered themselves unto the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, Behold, the Hebrews come forth out of the holes where they hid themselves. And the men of the garrison answered Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, Come up to us, and we will show you a thing. Okay. And Jonathan said unto his armor bearer, Okay. He's like, let's go see a thing. He said, Come up after me, for the Lord hath delivered them into the hand of Israel. Side note, I love the test that Jonathan puts forth. He's like, we're two, they're a garrison, We'll challenge him to a fight, and we'll know that the Lord is with us if the soldiers say, yeah, let's fight. <laughs> like, what? You got a garrison, and there's two. Why wouldn't you fight? Anyway. All right. Verse 13, and Jonathan climbed up upon his hands and his feet, and his armor bearer after him, and they fell before Jonathan, and his armor bearer slew after him. 
And that first slaughter, which Donovan and his own river made, was about 20 men within, as it were, a half acre, which a yoke of oxen might plow. Verse 13, and this is where that image is a little off. You, you go through that pass, but verse 13 says that it was a hard climb, that the enemy actually had the high ground, and that in order to get there, they had to crawl, bear crawl their way up. They're on their hands and their feet, working their way up. And this is the next thing I want to tell you, you know, broadly about missions, is that when you wake up and you decide today's the day, and you decide it doesn't matter how many are going with me, I've got one, I've got this armor bearer who's going to go with me, and that's it, that's fine, that's sufficient. Know this, engaging in the missions in missions or the mission will require you to, to crawl and to climb and to scrape, and it will be hard. It will be hard to get up. It will be hard at times to engage with the enemy. It is not going to be easy to engage in God's mission. But there will be victory if you're willing to get on your hands and your feet and to crawl up to the top of the hill and just go. The other thing that we could take away right here is that, is that really prayer is the power for mission. So the, other, the other aspect of getting on your hands and feet is to get down and humble yourself before the Lord, to put yourself in a position of vulnerability and to get down and to realize that I must be diligent and busy and serious about prayer and about praying for what's going to happen. And it's going to require continual prayer. Like while I'm going, I'm sure these guys have the same testament. While, while I'm on the plane, I'm praying. You know, half the time we would get in an Uber to go somewhere during the day, I'm praying. We're walking over to the coffee shop, I'm praying. It's like as we were going, knowing that we were looking to engage with men for eternal things, I'm going on my hands and feet. And we can take that into our daily lives. If you're driving yourself to work and you're not on your hands and feet, on your knees, not literally, like I don't recommend driving your car on your knees, but if you haven't humbled yourself before the Lord, why are you going? You will lose the battle. All right, so there's three general takeaways and I want to take just a couple minutes to focus in on one idea and it's this idea of a burden. We use that term, it's kind of used a lot, especially, you know, in missions or people go, oh, I just got a burden for uh, Africa. And you're like, what does that mean? They go, oh, I don't know. It's like, it's just in my heart, you know? It's heavy. I love Africa. And you're like, all of Africa? Yeah. What are you doing with your burden? Oh, I'm just burdened. Okay. Right? But I mean, but we use it, right? It's, it's a real common word. You go, oh, or we'll go, I got a burden for my coworkers. Well, what does that mean? It means I'm burdened. Okay, this is circular. What do you actually mean by that? You know, a burden is a, is a weight. I feel a weight this, this, uh, for my coworkers. You're like, that's, you're just defining your circle. You haven't taken us anywhere. So what is a, bird, a burden biblically? Now we see it here. Uh, in, in this passage, and I would start by asking you this. Why did Jonathan go? When you go back to verse 1, is Jonathan commanded to go to battle here? Do we see a specific command, an instruction? We don't. It just says that Jonathan woke up, it was a day, and he decides to go. Right? It just seems like Jonathan decides it's a good day to fight somebody. And he's a soldier, he's a warrior, so maybe that was it, right? What is a burden then biblically? Because this is one of those passages where it appears that you don't have any direct command. You just see that Jonathan has this, this thing in his heart. He's like, I'm just going to get up and go. So uh, number one, as we work through this, it, I would say this, a burden, or, or in this case in particular, and generally about a burden, but a burden is always birthed out of command that's already there. So there have already been general commands to go and to defeat the Philistines. A burden that comes from God must be aligned with God's commands, okay? So Exodus 23, 31, uh, God is setting the boundaries uh, for the, the land that the nation of Israel would take, and he tells them they're going to take the Philistines' land. And, and uh, 
in Judges chapter 13 and verse 2, it says, This is the land that you shall that yet remaineth, all the borders of the Philistines and all the Geshurim. So the instruction has generally been given to go and to conquer the Philistines, take all of their land and possess it. More specifically, in 1 Samuel chapter 4 and verse 1, in the word of the Lord, uh, and the word of Samuel came to all Israel, and Israel went out against the Philistines to battle. The word came to Samuel, and Samuel sent them to battle against the Philistines. So God has even given recently specific instruction to Samuel to send Israel to battle against the Philistines. And so they did that. 1 Samuel 7, 8. And the children of Israel said to Samuel, Cease not to cry unto the Lord our God for us, that he will save us out of the hand of the Philistines. So the, the people understand, and they're praying for deliverance from the Philistines. And so as they pray that, the answer to the prayer um, comes in uh, chapter, which one do I want? 9, 1 Samuel 9, 16. Tomorrow, about this time, God speaking to Samuel. I will send thee a man out of the land of Benjamin. He's talking about Saul, who he's going to anoint king. And thou shalt anoint him to be captain over my people Israel, that he may save my people out of the hand of the Philistines. The very purpose for God anointing Saul as king was to deliver the people out of the hands of the Philistines. So the command has been given. So, given. so broadly, you have the, the parameters. And this is the way burden should work in our lives. Broadly, we have the parameters set by God's commands. And if your burden doesn't fall within the parameters of God's commands, then it's not a burden from the Lord. God's burdens will always align with God's commands or the instructions that he's given. And so Saul fails. He's under the tree. He's actually the one who was chosen to do this work, but his son gets, the, gets that, understands that there's a command. We don't see anywhere that, that Jonathan is specifically commanded to go. No more than we can find anywhere in Scripture that, that David is specifically commanded to go to Nairobi. Like, you can't find that written, but you have commands to go and to preach the gospel to every creature. So does my burden contradict something that's already written in God's word? If it does, then it's not from the Lord. Secondly, and similarly, is that a burden must also work to fulfill God's mission. Meaning not only does it align with God's commands, but it will align with God's heart. And God's mission, God's heart specifically here, was to take over the land and defeat the Philistines. And so you see, as Jonathan sets forth with this idea, it, it falls within both of those parameters. He's got God's heart on this thing, and he's within the bounds of, of the commands. And there were a lot of specific commands back there that, uh, you know, is how far you could go and where you, who you could fight and who you could, all kinds of stuff. But the same thing is true for us. When we talk about God, you know what? I'm just so burdened for um, the homeless people in Kansas City. All right, well, does God have a heart for them too? And the answer would be, yeah, we see in God's word that God has a heart for those who, who, are, who, are, who are homeless, who are fathers, who are weak, that we have a responsibility to help them. And you go, ah, oh, you know, I've just got this... Uh, this burden for uh, for dance ministry. Now, I really think we need to start a dance team. And then you go, okay, does, is that God's heart? And I have a hard time finding that one. Right? We come up with all kinds of crazy ideas, right? People get ideas and we get these burdens. We're like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start, uh, I don't even know what to say. Okay. I'm going to start a basket weaving ministry. You know, we get all, but we get all these humanitarian ideas that, that get put in front of the actual mission. I'm going to start a well digging ministry. Well, it's good generally that people have water, but is that, is that the mission? Is that God's heart? Well, my burden is I just want to make sure that everybody has clean water, but not the gospel. I'm going to, I'm going to give all my life to making sure that people have clean water. Well, at the end, Believer, you're going to find out that you wasted the strength of your life. Because the burden that comes from the Lord will align with his heart. And that doesn't mean you can't give people clean water. That's absolutely a good thing to do. Have a business. Do it. But God's heart is for the salvation of the nations. That they would be able to, walk, to follow him and to worship him. All right, so, so your burden must align with God's heart. And then number three, in terms of a biblical burden... 
a biblical burden has to be able to be clearly communicated. So it's not just this idea that's out there in my heart, like, ah, I got this weight. I feel like I should, I don't know, Raytown. Burden for Raytown. And you're like, Cheney, what do you mean you got a burden for Raytown? He's like, you know, Raytown's a place and uh, it's a bad place. And you're like, okay, what does that mean? And, ah, God loves them. You're right, he does. What does that mean? You know, like we should invest in Raytown. What does that mean? How do you invest in, you know, and, and you can do this. You hear people that, they tell you they got these ideas, they got this burden. But when you look at what Jonathan got, Jonathan got something that was aligned with God's heart and aligned with God's commands. But then what could he do? He could easily and clearly communicate that to his armor bearer. He said, look, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go over there. We're going to attack that specific garrison in that place. And uh, we'll see what happens. Because God wants us to and God can deliver by many or by few. So if you can't communicate the things that you think are in your heart, spend some more time, you and the Lord, working through that. Get that to a place where it actually makes sense and, and has something that you can communicate. It has legs that, that, that can be followed. Because you can work a plan, but you can't work a burden. Does that make sense? I just have this, this dream. Okay. Well, once that dream has legs and, and it has a plan, then it can become a reality. So when we talk generally about reaching Kenya, we talk generally about reaching the world. And those are burdens that people go, ah, you know, I have a burden that every, everybody would be saved. Well, hallelujah. How do you engage in that? If you can't walk up to, to Dell and say, Dell, this is you know, where, and this is when, and this is how, uh, and this is why. And keep working on it. Keep seeking the Lord. And that's okay if you can't. It's not necessarily a bad thing. That's the beginning of something. Maybe you go, yeah, I do just have this, I don't know, feel like I should pray more. Okay, talk to the Lord about that. Work that out. Make a chart. Get a journal. Do something. Have a plan. I feel like I should go on a mission trip. I, I feel like I should be more evangelical. Those are great ideas. But until you develop a plan, if you were at all church retreat in the mornings, James DeCoker gave you a plan. He talked very, very specifically about how to build bridges. That's how you make your a, a burden become real. Because if it comes from the Lord, it can be communicated. Because that's the way that God works. He spoke to Samuel. And Samuel delivered the message to the people. Jonathan had a burden, and he's able to deliver that to his armor bearer. I would say this, you know, when you have a burden, it is, it is good to communicate that. Because you want to put yourself in a position where you can get feedback. Sometimes within our own minds, you know, we can rationalize and justify and bend some rules a little bit to make sure that my thing works. You see two opportunities here where Jonathan puts himself in a position where he can receive feedback. He allows God to speak to him by setting up this test, right? If they respond thusly, then we'll know it's from the Lord. So he, he gave God space, but he also gives his armor bearer space. He took it to another person, another brother that he trusted. The only person that he knew would be willing to go to battle with him. He took it to him. So the armor bearer had an opportunity to speak into it. And so did the Lord. And those are the two things that you need. If you've got a burden, you need to share it with somebody who's mature. You need to share it with somebody who you can trust. You need to share it with somebody who's willing to engage in the battle with you and give them opportunity to speak into that. And you want to make sure you're, you're willing to listen to the Lord as well and let him speak back into that as well. So that's a burden. So a burden must fulfill God's mission. A burden uh, must be according to God's commands that are already there that sets a lot of boundaries for us but really leaves it open and then a burden must be able to be shared in jeremiah 23 we won't read it all write it down jeremiah 23 33 through 38 god talks about the same idea and he even says in verse 36 and the burden of the lord shall you mention no more 
for every man's word shall be his burden. You know, and God has been reprimanding Israel here. And, and essentially what he's saying is you've made your own word, your own burden. And you want to avoid that. The things that we can drum up in our mind. You want the Lord's word to be your burden. So you can read through that passage. Um, but we'll, we'll put a pause here. So I kind of gave you a quick rundown of two messages. We worked through a burden and we worked through three other primary ideas. Now those first three ideas, they don't, you know, a burden becomes real. When a burden becomes real, then these other three things can happen, right? When you're able to communicate and you understand the boundaries and you have the heart that God has, then you will wake up and say, today is a day that I need to engage in the mission. That will change you when you get God's heart. And you will say, you know what? Maybe Decker is the only one who's going to go with me. That's good enough. We're still going to follow the Lord. We're going to let 600 sit under a pomegranate tree. And you'll, you'll be willing to get on your hands and your feet because you can communicate what, what's going on. And even when it's hard, you'll have known that you met with the Lord. You gave the Lord space to speak to you. And you can move forward in it, even when it's tough. So Nairobi for Christ is the burden. But Nairobi for Christ has some specific goals and parameters as well. Nairobi for Christ becomes a reality in that picture there where David's in the forefront. Nairobi for Christ really only happens when people start saving money so that they can get on a plane and go. When people start praying uh, over souls specifically, when people start practicing evangelism so that they're ready to go and do it somewhere else. And Nairobi for Christ only happens when there's a room full of Kenyans gathered together to study the word of God. That was our, that was one minute before David and I walked out of, of Nairobi uh, to get on the plane. And that was our last Bible study. It was, that's exactly what it was. A room filled with Kenyans and excited about being there and studying the Bible. And, and the burden becomes reality. The battle gets won when all of those things are true and then you put it into, into practice. Jonathan and the armor bearer went. There was just two of them and 20 fell before them. Um, we had about 20 in the room, including us, that last day we were there. You know, it was, it was just a few of us who were willing to go. So that's the prayer. Faith Fellowship, how will you engage in God's mission? Maybe it's not Nairobi. Maybe you're not ready for that. That's okay. There are small steps as well. Before David ever fought a, a giant, he'd fought a bear, he'd fought a lion. He had practice in battle. You need some battle practice. Find a way to start getting involved in God's mission and make sure that today is the day that you decide to start doing that. All right? Let me pray, and then we'll have about six minutes. If you guys want to ask questions, we'll, we'll have time for that. Heavenly Father, we thank you for what you are doing in Nairobi. Uh, we thank you for men like Ken and Sebastian who say that they're all in for discipleship. They're signed up for COD this weekend. Lord, we pray that you would protect that decision and those men as they, as they move forward. Uh, Lord, we thank you for your heart for the nations and, and the way that, that, God, even you've led and equipped this church to be engaged in that. But God, it's not enough that the church broadly is engaged. Lord, we know that you want each individual to be engaged as well. And I pray for those here that Faith Fellowship would be a place where, where your heart is, is what leads us. God, where your word is what leads us, where your, your commands are uh, the parameters for our life and also our, our battle cry, our marching orders. And let us march into uh, the work that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, so any questions uh, for David, Cheney, Decker, myself? It could be about Nairobi. It could be about culture. Rashad, is this one on live as well? Can we pass that? So you got to turn it on, on the bottom, on the side. Everybody knows I just need to push it on, but I'll run the, uh, I'll run the Is it on? You good? So can you just show us which ones are signed up for discipleship in the picture? Mm, maybe. Let's see. Let's, yes, I can. There's Ken. 
There's Stefan right here. No. Yeah, that's Riley right there. Yeah. The two guys in the back. Everyone was so this the picture's a little blurry. People couldn't even stand still. They were so excited. Yeah. It is good. Yeah, it is considered a Christian nation. Um, it is largely Catholic and charismatic. You know, there's all flavors of uh, of kind of the broad umbrella of Christian there. Um, Jeanette has been back there four years and spent a few years checking every church in her area and couldn't find a church that you know held to the Word of God and you know, sound doctrine. There's a lot of historical Christianity as well. So people have been, you know, families that have been Christian. So you have a generation of people that identify as Christian who, you know, probably don't go to church, who aren't even saved, um, who would just say, yeah, I'm Christian because, you know, my parents are Christian. We've always been Christian. Is there a, a predominant translation they use in Swahili? And if so, uh, is it a, a good translation? Linda? So the one of the advantages of Kenya, Nairobi in particular, is that the majority of people do speak English. Um, you know, Swahili and English are both the, the languages of the country, right? You can get out farther away and people might have lower level English skills, but everybody speaks English. So we use the King James Bible and people can read it and understand it, which makes, you know, it's one... One thing that makes the, the trips there and, and ministering there a little easier, you don't actually have to learn any foreign language. You need like three words. You need Jambo, you need Asante, you need Caribou. You can get by. You're good. Yeah? Is that good enough? There you go. Any other questions about Kenya or, or missions? This is just about missions in general when it's related to uh, MBT. But when giving, you know, like just giving financial support to missions, when it comes to our regular tithing, can you speak on how that works? Like are we to give separately to missions or is from, from our regular tithing? I mean, I know we can always give a specific offering to specific missions group, but Mm -hmm. I'm just curious how it works when it comes to our regular hiding or giving. Yeah, great question. Uh, so generally, you know, when we look at giving, the, the big picture is you tithe uh, 10% that goes to the church, and that all comes in generally uh, to cover, you know, ministry costs. Now, as a church, Midtown also tithes to mission. So everything that comes in, uh, we as a, we take, 10% of that, and we put it in what we call our kingdom fund or into our missions kind of account. So the church broadly is practicing what we're encouraging individuals to do. So, you know, if you're, if you do tithe, then you also support missions because the church is supporting missions, whether you've chosen to or not. Uh, if you want to give specifically, if you want to have say over where your money goes, um, and then beyond the tithe, you can start to, to make some sacrificial giving uh, and you could then designate. So on our website under giving, you can choose missionaries and you can give one time or repeated gifts to missionaries. And then you would be able to say, hey, you know, I, I do have uh, a heart for Nairobi and I want to support that or any other individual missionary. And so you could support there.
Yeah. The details on Bible study are, it meets every Saturday at um, 6.30 um, Kenya time, which would be, what, 11.30, 10.30, a.m. our time. Uh, yes, and 9.30 in the winter, because we change times of time. They don't. Um, Jeanette started it. There's, you know, a, a good group of women who come either online or in person. And now they, we've added a few men since we've been back. Three of us, the four of us have been online and with Bible study the last few weeks. Um, so I'll continue to be there. I'll transition that to Larry. Larry Smith goes to Kenya next and he'll take over leading that group. Um, yeah, but it, they meet every week. It's, uh, they do a dinner at 5.30, so they get together in fellowship and then do Bible study at 6.30 to about 8 or 8.15 their time. It's a discovery Bible method, so they're working through the book of John. We just break down passages at a time and let everybody get involved and, and see what the scripture says. Anything else specific? Yeah. Yeah, everybody engages. Everybody's contributing in Bible study. They, they are. There, there are people there that really have a heart for the word um, and, and want to learn and want to grow. So it's exciting to see. It's exciting to be a part of. So Saturday morning at 1030, you should pray for Kenya. You should pray for the Nairobi Bible study. James, would you uh, just kind of, again, reiterate if, if from hearing this and seeing the team and even you know, obviously, uh, Jane, Pastor James is our resident pastor that's in Faith Fellowship, but also on the missions team. Uh, and, you know, obviously, Linda Machage, this is, you know, um, where she's from, right? And so you can you can ask people about it, but what are the steps? If they started to get a burden, again, how was the next thing talking to you, me, mm -hmm. Yeah, if you so the best thing is if you want more information, you talk to someone who was up here. We have a little bit of information. You talk to Linda. She's got a lot of information about Kenya and the Bible study. Um, we have our missionary prayer night um, almost every month. Uh, you can jump in on the Nairobi prayer support group. That way you can get regular updates um, and start praying there. And then you will just stay attuned to the announcements. We are trying to put together more trips to Kenya, uh, hopefully again at the end of the year, or beginning of next year. So you would start saving money and praying about your involvement uh, in, in the work there. We're out of time. David's going to say a, a quick thank you, Lord, and then we'll, we'll go. Hey, Lord, thank you. Um, so much, God, for bringing us here this morning and, and also for bringing people um, in online who are thousands of miles away. And um, God, you want Nairobi uh, and you've commanded us to preach your gospel to every creature, Lord. And so I do pray for a burden in each of our hearts, Lord, for that to be sown by your word. And then, uh, God, that we would take steps to to talk with others and to confirm that in your word and to confirm that with other mature believers. And um, but ultimately, God, that we would surrender our lives um, to your will um, and to follow you forward, even though even when it's hard or difficult, when we feel ill-equipped, God, um, that we would put our trust in your strength um, and serve you, Lord. So thank you, God. I pray that we could honor you and glorify you with our lives today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.